Come on, stand to your feet in Jesus' name. And turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, uh, we are continuing in our series, The Rising. We kicked off this series on uh, Easter Sunday, and so we're going to continue that today. And we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us in a profound way. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 really is uh, foundational. The whole book is really foundational to all of our teaching with regard uh, to uh, this particular topic because it deals with those issues concerning uh, resurrection and the afterlife. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. But if, uh, if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, go ahead and turn your eyes to verse number 50. And we're going to read there. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead, in, and the dead will be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. Verse 53. For, for this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Daddy, with all of our hearts, we say we love you, we adore you, we thank you so much. For your word, your word is power, your word is life, your word brings so much comfort to our weary soul. You, you give us hope and you give us inspiration. And God, we turn our attention on you right now. Every heart, every mind right now, Lord, we're looking at you today. And what we're saying, Lord, is speak to us. Let there be a word come from heaven, Lord, that will stir us up in our faith and make us more committed than ever before, more vibrant than ever before, more enthusiastic than ever before. Father, let there be a change in us. We thank you, Lord God, that we have hope beyond this life. It's an amazing thing that you did for us. God, there are no words in the, the English language or no other language on the planet that can declare and describe the height of the gratitude that we have in our hearts today. We love you, Lord. Please speak to us. Help us understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our series entitled The Rising. And so we kicked it off in week one, and we talked about how that the resurrection validated the claims of Jesus Christ. We understand that Jesus made some amazing claims And uh, what made those claims stick 
was the fact that God raised him from the dead. And then last week, we talked about how that the resurrection empowers us to live a life free from the power of sin. As we said last week, it is not God's will that we be yo-yoing in and out of sin. How many know what I'm talking about? It's not God's will that you be held captive to some kind of a sin habit. It is God's will that you be free. Say it with me, free. That's what God called you to, and that's what the resurrection really was all about. So today, uh, I want to continue our series, and we're going to talk about, talk about how that the resurrection gives us victory over death. Victory over death. Now, we all know that Adam and Eve's sin was the sin that ultimately led to the death of all mankind. In fact, God told Adam and Eve, he said, if you eat of this fruit, he didn't say you might die. He said, surely you would die. And as a consequence, we live in a world that is not only filled with sin, that is not only filled with pain, that is not only filled with hopelessness, but we live in a world that is overrun by death. Death is all around us. It seems that when you turn on the television, there's always a story about somebody being murdered or shot. Or when you, you go to work and you're you know, just going about, you always hear about somebody dying. And sometimes we have our loved ones and people that we love very, very deeply that are, uh, that, that, that are dying, and, and, and it's something that is very, very painful. So we do not like, nobody likes to talk about death. I mean, if I was to stand out there and say, hey, everybody, was just to kind of shout it out to the community, hey, I'm going to preach a sermon on death today. Y'all want to hear it? I don't talk about that. But the context in which I want to talk about death is extremely different. Because the reason why people don't want to hear it is because people fear death, right? Because death hurts. Death is painful. Death appears hopeless. And so what we would rather do is we would rather just, I don't want to talk about it because, you know, after all, I got people that I love and I cannot imagine life without my son. can't imagine life without my daughter. I can't imagine life without my husband or my wife person that I love very deeply. So, so we don't want to talk about it. And, and not only do we want to talk about it, we don't even want to plan for it. You know, we, we just want to just somehow just act like the elephant is not in the room. I want to give you some stats about this. There are about yearly, about 56,600,000 people worldwide that die every year. That works out to about 4.7 million per month. 155,000 per day, 6,500 per hour, and 107 per minute, and about 1.8 per second. How many of you know that's death? Reality of it is, is no one escapes it. You know, you think sometimes, uh, I always am chuckled to some extent because Sometimes when, when people who have money and they have resources, you know, and they try to extend their life and they try to, they do all, people do all kinds of crazy things. But it doesn't matter how much money you got. 
It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. It doesn't matter how good looking you are. None of that matters because watch this, church. The death ratio is one per person. Everybody's going to get there. I hate, I hate to give you this news. I know everybody's going to get there, but, everybody say, but. I have good news. Christ overcame the grave. And because of what he did, I can face death. In fact, I'm, I'm just going to jump right into this. Uh, let's look at, why, why don't Christians have to fear death? Let me give you a couple of verses. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15. Let me give you this verse. Insomuch then as the, bre- the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise, talking about Jesus, shared in the same. That through death he might destroy, get this church, him who had the power of death. You know, he's talking about Satan. That's a reference there. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, understand something, church. We don't have to fear death because we understand that Jesus delivered us from it. I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about the disciples. Right before Jesus had ascended into heaven, and, you know, right after he died, actually, uh, the, the disciples were cowards. They were afraid, right? They were afraid, and all of a sudden they see Jesus, and then they get filled with the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden their lives completely change. These apostles, they ran right into the face of death. Many of them died a martyr's death. And you know what, church? They wasn't afraid. They were not afraid because they understood that Jesus won them the victory. How many know that Jesus got up? No, no, let me, okay, so let me, let me help you with this. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul said this, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. How many know that when Jesus got up from the grave, that was a resounding beatdown of the enemy? I want you to understand something. Because prior to that, I mean, Jesus was in the grave three days. And he got up. And when he got up out of that grave, what that said for all of us, that, that death could not hold him. That, that, that death, this was, this was God's way of saying, this was, listen, this was God's way of saying, no matter what the devil does, because what do people fear most of all, more than anything else? Death. And when Jesus got up from that grave, it was a symbolic, not only symbolic, it was reality that the, the devil had been defeated. Death had been destroyed. So then, we don't have to fear death no more because Jesus defeated it. So we don't have to watch. See, this is why the apostles, this is why they live. A, how many know that when you live life without fear? When you ain't worried about death, when you don't fear death, how many know you can make a difference for God? How many know you'll go into some places, you'll preach the gospel? How many ever thought, man, I ain't going over there because, man, I might get shot? Come on. How many know that when you're, when you're bold, when you don't fear, see the disciples, they didn't fear death? Because when Jesus got up out of that grave, they said, oh, we're good now. 
Oh, we're good. Death can't do nothing to me, baby, because I'm getting to Jesus got up. And how many know that, that Jesus was the first fruits? Okay, let me help y'all because y'all looking like y'all don't understand this. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 55. 15, 55, we just kind of read this. I'm going to read it again. But now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, right? Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Watch this, church. Behold, I tell you, mystery, we shall not all sleep. In other words, we, not, we shall not all, not all die. Sleep is a term really just specifies how the death is temporary. But we shall be changed. Everybody say change. And some of us, you ought to be really happy about the fact that you're going to be changed. Oh, come on, somebody. I could go a little, I could play with that, but I won't. I'm going to be good this morning. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. That means no sickness, no disease, a body that is perfect. A body, how many, are you, are you hearing this this morning? How many of you believe this? And we shall all be changed for this, watch this, for this, uh, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Oh, glory to God. How I many know we, we, this old body that y'all been trying to fix up, and you've been spending all this money? I've got some news for you it's going down. But it's going to be changed. How I many know God got something better? See, I was thinking the other day, how many ever heard of a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata? You also go, you ought to go look her up. Amazing woman with God. So she lives in Baltimore. So this woman uh, is jumped into a uh, jumped into a pool of water. She was a, she had misjudged. It was shallow water. She jumps in, and in her teenage years, she ended up uh, breaking her vertebrae, and so she ended up in a wheelchair, and she's now in her sixties. But if you ever look at this lady's life, this woman is amazing because she acts like she is one hundred and fifty percent healthy. She goes all around and been preaching the gospel for years. When people should look at her and people would think or they'll feel sorry for her. Oh, oh no. She, she don't want nobody feeling sorry for her. In fact, this woman has done more for Christ than I know of anybody. This woman is an amazing woman. But let me tell you what she got our hope in. She knows that that broke body was going, listen, it was destined to fail anyway. She already knew that she had a, that the incorrupt, that that corruptible body was going to, at some point, is going to put on incorruption. So, well, watch this. So, how many know that when you're sick in your body, you don't need to trip? How many know that as long as you can praise, if you got to praise Jesus with one arm and the other one is broke and you don't have a, give them praise. Why? Because here this church, this corruption is going to put on incorruption. So watch this. So I don't need to worry. Listen to me. I don't need to be oversighted. I don't need to get all worried about, oh, I'm sick. Oh, you know, some people get that. Oh, man, I'm sick. I'm just not going to. Listen, that, to me, that's more of a reason to serve God even more. Y'all, y'all, some of y'all, that was too deep for some of you. Look, look, why? Because your faith is not in this earth. Your faith is not in this temple. He got a whole nother temple for you. He got one in store for you. This body is corrupted. It is destined to die. It's going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, look at verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? How many know that every born-again Christian got victory over the grave? You are not, listen, you, we don't look at the grave and get all, oh, I'm worried. We already know we're getting up. I want to go back to this thing of first fruits. You know, how many of you are farmers in here? Anybody 
farming. Nobody in the farm. I know I got one country brother over here all the way in the back from Carolina. He, he not, <laughs> he's looking back like, who is that? Uh, you know, the first fruits mean it's, it's the first ripened fruit of the harvest. And so, so with the first ripened fruit kind of talks about or it, it says what the rest of the harvest is going to be like. So you eat that first fruit. Man, it's like, mm, you want to taste, okay, what's this, what's this harvest going to be like? So what you do is you taste that first fruit. And the first fruit tells you how the rest of the thing is going to be. How many know that Jesus was the first fruits? And because he got up from the grave, you got to understand you're going to get up from the grave too. The grave can't hold you either. Jesus is the first fruit. And he says, watch this. So some of y'all don't believe the verse. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. Watch this. And has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruit meaning that we're going to follow right behind him. So, so understanding this to be the case, how I many you know I don't need to fear death? See, the, folks who don't have this revelation, who don't have Christ, they need to fear. But you don't need to fear. You don't need to fear because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And when Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life, that means that he has authority to Lay it down. He have authority to pick you up. And how do we know every one of us are going to get up? If you love Jesus, you're going to get up. I actually, I would like to be here when he show up. I just want to be like, I want to be like uh, Enoch. The Bible said Enoch walked with God. And he was, and he was not because God took him. Oh, glory to God. Uh, uh, I just want to, look, I just want to be walking one day, doing the right thing now. I just want to be just doing my thing. Just, I want to be like sharing the gospel. <laughs> and all of a sudden, boom. Where is he? God just took him. How many know that's what type of what Christ is going to do with us? That he's just going to take us and bring us on home. So what, listen to this. So let's deal with some other aspects of this. So what happens when we die? Now, I want to deal with some things because I know a little bit of doctrine. And there's a theory. And you hear some people. How many of you have ever heard about the theory of soul sleep? Basically say that when you die, your soul just your soul just stay in the grave. You're just, you're just you know, consciousness. You're just there. I want to just jump right in and tell you right from the beginning. Can I, how can I be spiritually nice about this? Fooey. How's that? Hogwash. Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. All right, let me give you a couple of verses. Y'all ready? Are you ready for this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, verse 9. Paul says this. We are confident. Everybody say confident. And he says, yes, we are well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with who? The Lord. Not absent from the body and my soul sleeping for a couple hundred or two thousand years. Absent from the body and to be present. Everybody say present with the Lord. See, Paul was confident. Now, look at this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. Watch this. Paul said it this way. He says, for I am hard-pressed. Now, I want you to, I want you to hear what, he, what he's saying here. Paul is saying, look, man, he said, how many ever wanted something like really, 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 really bad? You know, maybe like chocolate cake or something. No, I'm just kidding. But how many like really, really wanted something really, really bad? Paul says, Paul says look, I'm hard-pressed. 
I'm pressed about it. He said, between the two, having a desire, listen to this, to depart and be with Christ. Are you hearing that? Which is far better. How many know that it's better to be with Christ? Okay, no. It's better to be with Christ. I'm going to try it on this side. It's better to be with Christ. Let's try it again. It's better to be with Christ. There you go. Paul said, I'm hard-pressed. He says, I live between two. He said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. In other words, Paul was speaking in the present tense. Paul was saying, listen, I am hard-pressed. I really would like to be with the Lord like right now, like yesterday. But then he says, but here's the problem. If, if I'm with the Lord, then, then, then perhaps uh, people won't come to Christ. Perhaps people won't understand. And so uh, it's more needful for me to stay here with you. And so Paul was saying, listen, Paul was saying, I'm in a, I'm in a you know, I'm hard-pressed. He says, look, I, I want to be with Christ, but I need to stay here. In other words, he wanted to be in the presence, conscious, consciously worshiping and being with God. I want you to understand something today. All of us have had loved ones that have passed along, right? You had a brother, you had a sister, you had somebody, a friend. Some, you had, all of us have. Can I say something to you right now with an emphatic yes, with an emphatic word with you? I want you to know this this morning, that if you had a loved one that passed away and they were in Christ, meaning that they were believers and they gave their life to Jesus, that today they are in the presence of God right now, and may I add, they are doing very well. Amen. They are in a far better place. They doing. Look, you don't need. Uh, look, I'm sure if they could come back and tell you, they'd be like, "You don't need to be crying for me. You need to cry for yourself." Because <laughs> you the one got to say here, I'm, I'm with Christ. And how many know? That's why how many know it's better to be. That's what Paul was saying. Paul said, I want to be with the one that I died for. I want to be with the one that saved me. I want to worship the one that gave me hope, that gave me life. I just want to be with him. But then I look at you and I realize you need help. So I got to stay. He didn't, Paul wasn't, imagine this. Well, look, imagine this. Well, man, I'm, I'm hard-pressed. I really want to die and be the Lord. I really want to go. I, I want to go so I can just, just sleep in the grave for 2,000 years. Or soul sleep. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Paul says, Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. I want to depart and be with Christ, present tense. Now, I want to be with them right now. But Paul said, Paul says, no, I got to stay here for you. There are some other biblical examples of this, of the saints of old. Let me, know, let me read this verse in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23. Listen to this. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now, this verse really describes the, how that when we come into the kingdom, that there's a whole bunch, bunch of witnesses around us. And, and watch this. And, and that we're in a, how many know that when you're in the kingdom of God, you're in a whole different place? He says, but you have come to Mount Zion. Into the city of the living God. Everybody say living. The, earth, the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. And watch this church. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Are you registered in heaven today? Come on. Can I see who, who registered in heaven today? Come on. Come on. This is you. This is your story. This is your story to the God. To God, the judge of all, watch this, church, 
listen, and to the spirits. Everybody say spirits. The spirits of just men made perfect. Who are just men made perfect? There were sinners who died who were made perfect by Christ. Those spirits. He said, that's what we've come into. How many know that they are aware of what's happening? Because they're with Christ. Y'all remember a story in the Bible, the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. How do you remember that? When Jesus was, was standing there at the Mount of Transfiguration, all of a sudden the disciples were sleeping. They wake up and they see Jesus standing there talking to Moses and Elijah. <laughs> There's another case. Obviously when God, when, when Jesus said to all the folks out there and it was just, they were just kind of questioning how the, the folks of old have passed on and, they, and Jesus had to remind them. He says, he is... He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of the living. How many know he's the God of the living? Revelation 6.10 says this. And they cried with a loud voice, talking about the souls of those who are already gone before us, saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood of those who dwell on the face of the earth? Now, you, we must understand this, that all those in the Old and the New Testaments are awaiting the physical resurrection of their bodies. How many know that Christ is the apex of all of history? Okay, y'all, let me, let me help you to understand this. We're all saved by grace through faith, not that of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Can somebody say amen to that? So it, is in the Old, so it is in the New Testament. It's the same in the Old Testament. The only way that anybody comes into heaven, the only way that anybody get a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Are y'all hearing that? Both old and new. See, how many know that in the Old Testament, they, the Bible says, for an example, that Abraham believed God. <laughs> and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, you got to understand something. So in the Old Testament, they looked and they believed and waited for the Savior. They knew that a Savior would come. They knew that the Messiah would come. And so this is how they lived. They lived believing that the Messiah would come. And so in the Old Testament, they were looking for him. In the New Testament, we look back to what he already did. But any way you look at it, Christ is the apex of all of history. And he is God's sacrificial lamb for all time, for everybody. How many know that the story has always been about Jesus? Lo, Jesus said, I come in the volume of the book. You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they that testify of me. All of history, all of history is about Christ. And there's, and there's going to be one big massive resurrection of the saints. And how many of you are excited about that? I mean, I'm looking forward to hanging out with my, bro my brother David. I'm looking forward, you know, well, you know, there's a couple in the Old Testament. They had, they had, like, they had like VIP privilege. Uh, you know, Enoch was just taken up. And then, of course, Elijah, he was just taken up too. Don't really know what, how that happened, but hey, they were taken up. But everybody else, they died. But there's coming a point in time. But all of them are going to rise from the dead. You ought to say hallelujah to that. Now look at this. Speaking about our loved ones, because we all have that. We all have loved ones. And I, I really want to be careful when I say this, because 
understand the emotional context. And so I want, I, want, I want to be very serious about what I'm saying. And I want you to really understand, and I don't want you to miss, I don't want you to misinterpret anything that I'm saying. I don't want you to think that I'm somehow taking this lightly because this is some serious stuff that I'm getting into right now. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, in fact, I want you to go ahead and turn. I want you to look at that verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 13 through 18. Now, let me kind of give you some information about what was happening here. So we understand that the Apostle Paul, whenever Paul talked about Christ and his return, we talked about eschatology. He always talked about it in a way that suggests that Christ could come back any moment. This is the way Paul lived. This is the way the New, this is the way the New Testament church lived. They lived as if Christ could come any moment. This is what they did. And so what happened was, in the, in the church in Thessalonica, so there were some people there who uh, had some questions because they were kind of concerned about the people that had went on before them. They were concerned about their loved ones because they're thinking, man, Christ is going to come. There's going to be this, this resurrection. He could come in a moment. But what about the people that I love? What, what about those folks? What, what about my mom? What about my dad? What about my child? What, about, what, what, what is going to happen there? So this is how Paul addressed it. Look at this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 13 through 18, he says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. How many, know Bible, how many know that the Bible says that God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge? Ignorance is not a spiritual virtue. <laughs> how many know God wants you to know? I believe that the enemy had destroyed and misled so many people because they do not know. And if the devil had his way, he wanted to keep you ignorant to the fact of who you really are. You are an overcomer in, 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 the, in the most incredible way. There's nothing like you on the planet. Jesus had, when, what Jesus did for us, he set us up for total and complete victory. You are evidence and trophies of the grace and the power of God. You are magnificent. You are wonderful. You are so precious that God came all the way down off of his throne to come and get you. You are loved beyond measure. You are strong. You are mighty. You are more than an overcomer. All because of what Christ did for you. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep with those who died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now watch this. People who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ or people who, who live their life as if that this is it because in some ways in, in their mind they're, they're thinking that there is no afterlife. There is no accountability. And how many know that, that, that what you believe about the, the next life will determine how you live. See, if you're a Christian and you love Jesus Christ and you believe the judgment, how many of you believe in the judgment of God? You, you believe that you're going to be accountable? You're going to believe that you're going to see Jesus? How many know that it, it affects how we live our lives? It should. But folks who don't have this relationship with Christ or people who don't believe in the afterlife, they, they are apt to live more loosely because they just kind of live like this is it. How many know that Christians ain't supposed to be living like this is it? Yes, how many know that we are supposed to be living with purpose? You live with purpose. You understand that God has called you to something and that there's a greater life. But he says, but look at this. He said, I don't want you to sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, 
Let me just say this. It's not spiritual for you not to grieve for if somebody died that you love. It's not spiritual not to grieve. You're supposed to grieve. Grieving is natural. Y'all hear me. You hear me. The Bible said when Jesus, right before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, what did he do? Did anybody know the scripture? What did Jesus do before he raised Lazarus from the dead? He wept. Grieving is a natural process. But how many know it's one thing to grieve with hope than to grieve without hope? See, see, how many know, because if we are in Christ and our loved ones are in Christ, we can grieve, but, but there's a smile right in the back of that grief. It's not the same. We don't go, listen, we don't go have fits and turn over the casket and scream and yell. Ah, ah, ah. No, I, I'm telling you right now, if I go before any of you, there better be a celebration. Because if there's, if there's not a celebration, I might just get up and just jump on y'all. How <laughs> I many know that for the Christian, death is celebration time? It's resurrection. Asking from the body, present of the Lord, why are you tripping? I'm good. Celebrate with me. Watch this. If we believe, how many of you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Even so, watch this, God will bring, everybody say, with him those who sleep or who died in Jesus, right? So in other words, so they were concerned that somebody's going to get left behind. He said, oh, no, no, Paul was wanting to know. He said, no, 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 the ones who, who already have died, your loved ones, God's going to bring them, bring them with him. They're going to come back, and they're going to be, they're going, they're going to reconcile with their new bodies. They're going to be raised in new body. They're going to be raised to new life. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep. So those who are in Christ, they're going to get up before those who are still living when Christ comes. How many of you, by the way, want to be living when Christ comes? I would love to. I would love to have that experience. Uh, so I'm going to pray, look, come, Lord Jesus, come today, come. I mean, anybody ever, ever prayed that, like, you just kind of looked at the world and you said, oh, come, Lord Jesus, come today. Lord, come. I would love to be raptured right while I'm on 95. Boom. Take me out of here. Somebody, that was your chance to clap right there. Amen. So anybody who ride 95, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I want to be taken when I'm on 95 in Jesus' name. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Now get this. He, listen, he's not going to send an angel, somebody else to come and get us. He says, the Lord himself. The one that you love, the one that you adore, the one that you worship. He said, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. You remember Jesus said to the disciples, he said, why, right before he went, he said, why are you sitting there? Why are you gazing at me like this? Do you not know that in the same way I'm going up, I'm coming back the same way? How many know? He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back to get you. How many know he's coming back? Jesus is on the way back for his people. This, my friend, is great news. For the Lord himself, I love that, I can just stay right there. For the Lord himself, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I don't know what that shout is going to be, 
but I'm quite sure I'm on, you'll know it. If you know him, you'll hear it, and you'll know it. <laughs> with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You get that? To your loved ones, the people that you love, the people that you know, if they're in Christ, everybody say in Christ. Because they had to be in Christ. So I'll deal with that here in a second. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, that's going to be us, right? Because we're going to believe. We're going to be alive. Amen. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. How many know those are comforting words? And what Paul was trying to convey, he wanted, he wanted the people to know that death is not final for us. Death is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of transitioning into the life that Christ purchased for us. Now, finally, what happens to unbelievers who reject Christ? Now, let, me, let, me, let me deal with this because this is hard. It's something that we don't like to talk about today because we want, to, we want people to think somehow, to some way that, um, you know, if they were good enough, that they, if they did all the right things. And by the way, I've done some funerals, but let me say this. Uh, no pastor can preach somebody into heaven. Did y'all hear that? Nobody can preach you into heaven. Either you had Christ or you didn't. How many know that nobody is good enough to go to heaven on their own? And so to let people think, hear me, and I want to say this, I, 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 I want to say this very carefully, but to allow people to think that somehow that they are good works, that somehow they landed with Jesus Christ, is deception. It's wrong. Because how many know that everything that Jesus did was to deliver us from hell so that we wouldn't have to go to that place. The Bible says that hell was, was really created for the devil and his angels, for the rebellious. He didn't create hell for you. It's, it's not God's will. Do you understand that? And so when we, I mean, if you read your scripture, Jesus talked about hell just about more than he talked about anything else. And whenever he talked about hell, can I say this, it was never pleasant. It was always hurtful. It was always in painful terms. It was always in tormenting terms. This, how many know that what we do here is about life and death for real? While we want to argue and fuss about what color the chairs is, we want to argue and fuss about, I don't like this. How many know that there are people all around us that are dying? Eternity is at stake. And there are some folk that you know and you love deeply. And you know them. And you know they are not right with God. I want you to understand today, and I speak with the authority of Christ. Unless they repent and give their life to Jesus, they are destined for eternal punishment from God forever. There is no evidence in Scripture of a second chance. It's appointed on the man to die, then after death comes judgment. Let me give you a couple of verses. Revelation 20, verse 15 says this, And anyone not found written in the book of life 
was cast into the lake of fire. Matthew 25:46. Matthew 25:46 says this. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The righteous are those who are in Christ. Look at this verse. Luke chapter 16, verse 20 through 24. Listen to this. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, while the piano is playing. A certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Listen to this, church. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died. And just as Jesus given an analogy here, I believe that there's some truth to this. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being, listen to this church, watch this. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this God doesn't send anybody to hell. Everybody knows that, right? People choose to go there. When they reject Christ, they choose to go there. Here's a harsh reality. How many of you believe this word? Here's a harsh reality. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Some of you got folks around you, and you know they're not right with God. And you let them walk in and out of your presence, and you never say one word to them. I want you to know today that unless they come into relationship with Jesus Christ, their future is not bright. I don't care what their economic status is. I don't care how they, I don't care what kind of car they drive. I don't care how nice their house is. I don't care. It doesn't matter. All that matters is what you did with Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here today, you've got nothing to worry about. You don't have to worry about anything. Death has no power over you. You don't even have to fear death. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry about it because you, Jesus was the first fruits. You're going to rise again from the dead. Your body's going to be changed. You're going to live forever with Jesus. Your eternal, your, 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 your eternity is secure. It's secure. But there must be an urgency. Y'all hearing me? There needs to be an urgency amongst all of us. There has to be. To stop playing church and get serious about evangelism. I'm not talking about when people go from one church to the other church. You know, that's just shuffling around. 
I'm talking about evangelism whereby somebody who don't know God, that they get right with God because you preach to them, because you shared. Jesus rose from the dead to give people a way out. The only way out is Christ. He's the only way out. He is the only way out. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want you right now to think. 